Uh, this uh, last Sunday, I was unable uh, to be with you, and I appreciate Chad uh, sharing the, the message. And uh, if you saw the announcement video, it was my mother's 90th birthday. So they had this big party uh, set up for her. Everything seemed to be going good. Uh, we were in the worship service that morning. She was dressed to the hilt, had her high heels on, was styling and looking good. And in the middle of the sermon, she leaned over and she says, I think I'm getting ready to faint. And sure enough, she did. And uh, we had to call in the paramedics, and um, they then took her over to St. Joseph's Hospital, and turned out she was fine. She had a serious, a severe sinus infection, which was causing a lot of this uh, uh, equilibrium issues. And and so since my sister was catering the uh, party, the party went on. And... Um, had a great turnout, amazing food, everything went good, just the guest of honor was laying in a hospital bed uh, there. So my mom hated that she didn't get to go to the party, but she felt a lot better afterwards. But around 2 o'clock, we were getting ready to go back to Atlanta, and the caseworker came in and, and was going to ask my mom some questions before they took her to a room. And uh, they had put a little sack over there, had her clothes over here, and had her shoes, had her high heels over there. And so the lady looked at my mom and she says, so now do you need a cane or a walker or anything like that? And my mom says, look over there and you tell me. (laughs) She saw the high heel shoes. She started dying laughing. She said, okay, I guess you're okay. So she's fine. We thank you uh, for your prayers. And it was a good celebration, but it's a little different than we had thought it would be. We are in a series entitled Do Something. And it's a call to action. God's word was never to be just an intellectual text. It was to be a revelation of God and what he's done for us. And there's a call to action in this word. And so we, each Sunday, we've been talking about do something, do something. What is it that we need to do? And today I want to talk to you about do something, a life-altering decision, to make a life-altering decision decision. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 15. A couple of few weeks ago, we were in Jordan and uh, we were uh, had an opportunity to preach and teach with some pastors from uh, five different countries, from Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, and Egypt. And I love my the translator that was with me because he says, take out your Bibles or he said, then he did this, he says, take out your holy mobile. So either get your Bible or your holy mobile and look to Mark chapter 15. Mark 15. Logan talked about how that um, uh, there was this being Palm Sunday is the time to remember when Jesus was was coming into Jerusalem and everyone was singing Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, the king. and, And it was starting that week of Passover. And on that Thursday night, when he had that last supper with his disciples, he was arrested. And as he was arrested, they took him to Caiaphas's house and he was the high priest. And there was a trial sort of that had gone on. And then they got back together that morning and they brought all the Sanhedrin, all the religious ruling council so they could make a final decision. And in verse one, it says, as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And so they delivered him over to Pilate, who was the governor of that area. And Pilate usually lived in Caesarea. That was about 70 miles north. 
But whenever there was a big religious festival, there was all this fervor, they felt that he needed to come and just oversee everything. So he moved back in into one of the palaces there, and that's where he would stay during that week just to make sure that nothing got out of hand. And so they bring Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. He said, are you the king of the Jews? It's a great question he's asking because uh, from a Roman standpoint, they're not going to punish somebody because of some religious thing, but they could punish somebody because of something political. And so Jesus says, you have said so. It's just a matter of, of, of agreement. Now, how do you want to interpret king of the Jews? We can talk further. Well, then you get to verse 3 and it says, and the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. The reason he made no further answer is all these charges they made were just trumped up and they were false. There was no reason for him to have to comment. But Pilate was amazed when he watched him and that he didn't speak up. And then in verse 6, it says, Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And so apparently this was a tradition that Pilate started. And that is that when we come to the Passover, we're going to release a prisoner to you. And, um, and so they said, are you going to do this again? And it says, and among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Now, earlier there had been this uprising of some Jews that were going against the Roman government, and it was squelched, but naturally some people lost their life. And Barabbas was one of the main insurrectionists. He had murdered some, uh, some Roman soldiers, and so they threw him in jail. And the crowd came up, and they began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. So Pilate naturally assumed that maybe they wanted to release Jesus. And so he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. You see, it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. And what Pilate did was Pilate had pretty well understood the situation. He listened to all the charges they had. And he was pretty perceptive. And he said the reason that they want to get rid of this Jesus fella is that he's kind of stealing their thunder. Because when he entered into the city in Jerusalem, if you read in the scripture, he went into the temple where all the money changers were. And, and he went and he turned those tables over. And he said that you've made it, this is to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. And people were ripping people off in the name of religion. And the priests at that time were over all of that. And so when Jesus upset all of that, and as his ministry was growing in Jerusalem and Galilee, they didn't want any part of it. And they wanted to get him out of the picture. And so Pilate's kind of seen through all of this. And he says, but in verse 11... But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Now, that would not be a really difficult thing to do. The priests, they were well-respected. They had financial means. They could easily find themselves going into the crowd and saying, hey, listen, we got two guys up here. One is Barabbas. You remember Barabbas? He's for you. He's against this Roman government. He stood up, put his life on the line, even took out some Roman soldiers. And he said, that's the guy that we need to get back. Now, this other guy, Jesus, remember his teachings? He's a pacifist. 
Remember when he said, if somebody hits you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn around, let him hit the other cheek. He says you're to love your enemies. So who do you want? Do you want a guy who's a sympathizer of Rome or do you want the guy who's going to stand for you? Pretty good sale. And so they went throughout the crowd and they got them to be on Barabbas' side. And so it says in verse 11, chief priest stirred up the crowd, have them released to Barabbas, and Pilate again said to them. Now it says again. If you look in Luke, he is asking a number of times, but he asked the crowd again, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? In Matthew, he says, then what shall I do with Jesus who calls himself the Christ? What shall I do with him? Very important question. What shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again. And they said, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So he goes to the crowd and he says, what should I do? They say, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And so in verse 15, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, this is his criteria, wishing to satisfy the crowd, he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So what he did was he beat Jesus, sent him off to be crucified, took Barabbas, and he released him. Now, there's something that's a little bit interesting here is that right here at this moment, you are beginning to see a picture of what Christ was going to the cross to die for. There was a convicted felon, Barabbas. And here's an innocent Jesus, the Son of God. And Barabbas, who was a condemned man, was released, and Jesus died in his stead. It's a beautiful picture of the substitutionary atonement in where Jesus died for each one of us. Now, I think that we could be 100% on this as if I asked you this question and I said, okay, which, was, which is the one that deserved to die, Barabbas or Jesus? A guy who's a murderer or Jesus who's committed no sin? We would say, well, Barabbas is the guy that should have died. Well, I want you to take Barabbas and take him out of the picture and I want you to put yourself in there. Now, you put yourself in there, and there's you and there's Jesus. Now, let me ask you, who deserves to die, you or Jesus? If I put myself in there, the answer would be pretty easy. It's me. Because of my own sin, there's no way I match up to the holiness of God. I'm the one that should die. But what Jesus did was he stepped in your place, and he stepped in my place, and he says, I will die for you. But, but Jesus, I'm condemned. I'm a sinner. I've done things that are wrong. He says, I understand that, Danny. But I love you so much that I'm going to die for you so that you can have the opportunity to have a relationship with God the Father. And that you can have the Spirit of God to come into you. And so that you can live a life here on earth according to the purposes of God. And that for you, one day when you die, you'll spend eternity in heaven. He says, I want to do all of that for you. But I don't deserve it. And so in this picture of what Pilate was doing and all that was going on, we get back to our point, which is do something. Make a life-altering decision. And it 
brings us to the most important question that we have to deal with in life, and that is, what shall I do with Jesus? What shall I do with Jesus? It's a question that for all of us that we have to deal with. As we look at this question, I phrased the title as life-altering decision. And the reason I I did that is because, to me, life-altering is even stronger than life-changing. Life-altering decision. While I was had made that title, I began to come across some things uh, on the internet that dealt with life-altering circumstances. Now, what you discover when you go online is there's a lot of wiki everything, isn't there? Uh, we got Wikipedia, got wiki traffic, uh, travel, excuse me, got wiki spaces, wiki media. There's even wiki how. Wiki how. Well, I was drawn to wiki how. Because there was an article that says how to cope with life-altering changes. So how do you cope with life-altering changes? And it says uh, if you're dealing with a major life change, whether it's a new job, a bad boss, a breakup or divorce, being diagnosed with a disorder or disease, moving across the country, you can cope. And here's how you cope. And they listed nine things. And I started going through those. And some of those were pretty good. Some were you know, okay. But I got to the last one, number nine. And this is when a life-altering change happens in your life. This is how you can cope. And let me show you what number nine says. Number nine says, find your own personal higher power. Okay? Pick a guide, any guide. Just pick out a personal higher power. I'm not saying you have to go join a church or become a devout religious person. God forbid that you would do that. Okay? But picture a divine power power that you can give your problems to and take over when you're worn out. You can't control every aspect of your life. This is impossible. So simply hand it to your personal higher power. Your personal higher power. Your own cosmic butler. That whenever you're tired, whenever you got a big problem, just picture, hold just a second. I got him. Picture your higher power and then just hand it over to him. Life is so easy, isn't it? You know, I read that. Well, I screamed when I read it first. um, And I began to shout. And then I said, hey, this makes pretty good sermon stuff. So as I looked at this, find your own personal higher power. And it just caused me to start writing some things down. I said, how can a personal higher power that you picture in your mind help you? What is being suggested here is to have a cosmic glorified butler who handles your problems and difficulties with whom you have no accountability. The Bible reveals a God who is beyond our comprehension, whose ways are higher than our ways. And the God of the Bible that we are studying and reading is sovereign, all-knowing, loving, merciful, just, and holy, and is worthy of our praise. He is not some personal higher power that you conjure up in your mind to meet all your needs. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come to earth, to die for our sins, to be raised from the dead on the third day, thus conquering sin and death and giving you and me eternal life. What shall I do with Jesus? That's the question we come back to. Because you see, it's not just some personal higher power. 
It is dealing with an historic figure, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son of God. And so the question is, what shall we do with Jesus? Pilate asked all the people in the crowd, what shall I do with Jesus? And that's a question that not only Pilate asked, but it's a question that each one of us has to ask. So what will we do? Here's our choices. Number one, the first thing when you deal with this question, you either accept or reject. You accept or reject. you got two options. You can't delegate this one. There is no one else that can make this decision for you. It is your decision and it is your personal responsibility. Pilate wanted to get the crowd's opinion. And they gave him their opinion. And then he made his decision. But it wasn't their responsibility. And it wasn't their decision. It was his responsibility. It was his decision. He has to do something. He has to make a life-altering decision, and so do you. It is our decision that we have to make. We either accept or we reject. Either Jesus' claims are true or they are false. Either he is the Son of God or else he is a misguided lunatic. You have no middle ground with that. And so you either accept or reject Now, let's just say, as as many of you here have done, that we accept him. Well, that brings us to the second point. The second point is that if we accept him, then it also means that we can follow Jesus or we can sideline Jesus. You have two options here. Follow Jesus, which when we say follow Jesus, that means that we make him Lord of our life. It means that we obey him and we follow what he shares in God's word. Or we sideline him. And what I mean by sideline, if you've ever watched uh, an athletic event, you've got people that are in the game and you've got people that are standing on the sidelines. And oftentimes what we want to do is we receive Christ, but then we just want to put him on the sideline. We want him to be our personal higher power. And I just really want to live my life like I want to live it. But all of a sudden, when the ox is in the ditch and things are really difficult, then all of a sudden I look to the sideline and there's Jesus. It's time to put him into the game. And when I put him into the game, then he can work these things out. And as soon as things get worked out, I can take him, put him back over to his place on the sideline. You either follow Jesus or you sideline Jesus. Now look what Jesus said that we should do. He found in Luke chapter 9, 23 through 27. And in Luke 9, 23 through 26, it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him three things, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses or he forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now stay right here for just a moment. Those first few verses were talking about following Christ. Man, deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow him. But then you get down here to the sideline area, and that is for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words. To where we may have made this decision to where we want to accept Christ, but we just really want to put him off to the side. The question that Pilate asked is a question that is resonating with every one of us. What shall I do with Jesus? You either accept him or you reject him. You follow him or you sideline him. Let me tell you number three, and that is it affects your eternal destination. Whatever you say will affect your eternal destination. 
John 3.16 is one of the first verses that we learned as a child when he was growing up in the church. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You wouldn't perish, you'd have everlasting life. So it affects your eternal destination. Where will you spend eternity? Jesus, when he was eating with his disciples just hours before the passage that we looked at in Mark 15, before he was arrested, he told them, I'm getting ready to leave you and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. He's saying, I'm going to heaven. I'm preparing a place for you. And one of the disciples asked the question, well, how do we know how to get there? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so he gives them the pathway to get to heaven. It affects the eternal destination. And so when we die, we will either follow Christ and spend eternity with he- in heaven with God, or we will be separated from him for eternity because of our sins. But it all comes down to the decision that each one of us makes. And that decision is to accept or to reject. It affects your eternal destination. But second, third, fourth thing is also it affects your life's direction. It affects life's direction. You know, the Bible is not just about how can I be certain that when I die, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Sure, it lays that out for us. But when you read God's word, we have been created for a purpose. We've been created to be able to live for the Lord and to give him glory and honor while we live here on earth. And the Bible says that, that when Christ came, he came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. That doesn't mean that it's, it's carefree. We're still going to have difficulties, but there's this abundance in our life and there's this joy that we have in our life. And he says, that, that's why Christ came. You can have that abundant, fulfilling life. Jesus told his, his followers, he says, you're to be a light on a hill. I mean, you're, you're to shine and you're to do great works so that God receives the glory. Man. And then Paul talks about we're created as God's workmanship and that we are created for good works and that we have a purpose to live for. And he says, you won't know any of this unless you come into that direct relationship with Jesus Christ. And when that happens, then all of a sudden, God's spirit comes inside of you. And you begin to understand uh, direction in life and begin to live for him. And you have an opportunity to glorify him through all the different things that you do and things that you say and the cup of cold water that you give to others in the name of Christ and on and on and on. And it just adds such an abundance and a purpose to your life. So when the question is asked, what shall I do with Jesus? Yeah, it affects a lot. You accept or reject him. You follow him or you sideline him. And it will affect your eternal destination. And it will also affect your life's direction. The sermon series, we call call it Do Something, which means we need to take action now. Now, I don't want to be the guy that, that puts that scary thing into you to say, hey, you know, no one's guaranteed for tomorrow, but that's true. And when we try to put off decisions that affect our eternal destination, man, we're just, we're, we're playing. We're, we're playing a dangerous game. You know, I would want to go on and have nailed down exactly where I will spend my eternity. 
But you see, even if you knew the hour and the day that you were going to die, I would still be uh, preaching this message with this fervor because the greatest thing that can happen in your life is to come into a relationship with God, your creator, because it will affect the whole direction of your life. You see, living life on your own terms means that you are accumulating an inventory of regrets that don't need to be there. Because there are things that you'll be doing which are outside of God's will that later in life, or not that much later, could just be the next day. You're going to live with regrets, and there are regrets that you don't need to have. Wouldn't it be great to be able to connect your life with the one who created you? The one who gave you your first breath and also the one who you will meet when you first step into eternity. What shall I do with Jesus? It's a life-altering decision. It will not only alter your eternal destination, but it will alter your entire life's direction. So Pilate asked this most important question. It is life's most important question. What shall I do with Jesus? But in order to get an answer to that question, he used the world's worst criteria. And that is wishing to satisfy the crowd. Wishing to satisfy the crowd. Pilate was torn as to what decision that he should make. And uh, he heard voices He had voices speaking to him from Roman law. Roman law was telling him that Jesus was innocent. He knew it. That's why he kept bringing him up, saying, I find no fault in him. He heard the voice of Roman law in his conscience saying he's innocent. He even took Jesus when he first came to him, sent him to Herod, and Herod sent him back, and he says, I don't find anything wrong with him. So even Herod is saying he's innocent. And then his wife Husbands, always listen to your wife. She had a dream about it. And she came to Pilate and she says, I had a dream about this man last night. And I'm telling you, you just stay away from him. You just back off. You don't need to take this any further. I'm warning you, you don't need to do this. He's got the law. He's got Herod. He's got his wife. But then he's got a chorus of all this loud cheers from the crowd that are saying, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas, we need to kill him. And now he is listening to both ends of it. And so what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to satisfy the crowd. Let me tell you what happens when we satisfy the crowd. The first thing is, whenever you satisfy the crowd, you it causes you to compromise your convictions. It'll always cause you to compromise your convictions. And as he's listening to the crowd over here, he is beginning to be swayed a little bit. And he begins to be thinking about politically what is right and politically what is expedient. And what is this crowd saying over over here? And you see, he was caving in to the pressure of the crowd. So he abandoned what he knew was to be right. He had no good excuse to condemn Jesus, but he was afraid of the crowd. So he decided to satisfy the crowd. Many voices are calling out to us today. The media, our peers, our culture, our entertainment. And if you're a follower of Jesus, your conscience and convictions tell you that many of these voices are wrong, but the voices are so persistent. And so you start with a compromise. 
And that's what Pilate did. If you read what he did in, in Luke, he said, you know what I'll do? I'll beat him, flog him, and then I'll bring him back before the crowd and say, hey, look what I did. I beat him, so I think we should release him. He didn't even have grounds to beat him. He was already compromising against Roman law. And so that's how it starts. It starts with a compromise. But the voices will not be silenced until they have achieved total victory. And when the voices prevail in this situation, they then speak up in another situation. The voices cannot stand God's word because it's not accepting of their lifestyles and their immoral choices. It's not enough to get a few legal victories. There must be an all-out assault to remove any influence of the word of God. And any remnants remaining of God's word will always point out the wrongness of their position and the voices will not tolerate that. When we lay aside God's clear statements of right and wrong and we make decisions based on the preferences of an unbelieving crowd, we will fall into compromise and lawlessness and farther from the principles that we stand for. You see, God promises to honor those who do right not those who make everyone happy. Satisfying the crowd causes you to compromise convictions. The most important decision he had to make, what shall I do with Jesus? He based it on the criteria of satisfying the crowd. Whenever you do that, it'll cause you to compromise your convictions. The second thing is it will give you a false sense of security. It'll give you a false sense of security. In Matthew's gospel, it says that after he made this decision, he took a basin of water and he washed his hands. And he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. And he looked to the crowd and said, it's your responsibility. That's just incorrect. It's still his responsibility. It doesn't matter what the crowd said. It doesn't matter how much they said or how much pressure they put on. It's still his decision and still his responsibility. And using the crowd as an excuse for your actions is just not acceptable. Each one of us is accountable for whether we accept Christ or reject Christ. Of whether we follow him or we sideline him. It is your decision and it is my decision. No one else's. But often, in order to satisfy the crowd, when we do that, it gives us this false sense of security. And see, there's some of you that, and I know, and I've had conversations with people who they tell me about their upbringing, and they have had some terrible things happen in their life. And when I hear some of these terrible things that have happened in people's lives, I teeter between I'm, um, my heart goes out to you to where I want to cry, and then there's part of me that's just flat out angry that people would do that to you. And it just, man, it just bothers me that that would happen. But what I've discovered is that sometimes in people who have life situations, it seems like they've dealt them some difficult hands. They use that as an excuse to say, well, I just can't believe in a God. And, and, and uh, you know, I've been through all these tough, tough things. So I guess I get a pass. You don't get a pass. Nobody gets a pass. We don't get a pass in our sinfulness and God's holiness. God's holiness never changes. <clears throat> and because he is a holy God... As we are sinful people, we cannot come into the presence of a holy God. And so no matter what the life situation, no matter what kind of hand in life you've been dealt with, 
I would see even more so that you would want to connect with your creator God and say, God, I just need your strength and your power. And I want to live for you. And somehow, maybe through these things that have happened to me in the past, you can take those together and somehow use them for your glory. I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust you because you are sovereign, you're all-knowing, and you love me. You see, none of us is going to get a pass. And so let's don't get false security for the crowd to come over here and tell us all these different things. That there are many roads to get to heaven. And that, and that oh, the higher power is just full of love and, and mercy. Now he, our God is full of love and mercy, but he's also a God of justice. And so let's don't let that be a false security. But when we listen to the crowd, we get this false sense of security. But then the very last thing, and that is that when we satisfy the crowd, it always produces damaging results. When you satisfy the crowd, it always produces damaging results. For Pilate, he condemned an innocent man. Man, for you and for me, if we listen to the crowd and we go with the crowd and go against what God's word says, there are damaging results. It could be a loss of respect that you lose with both your family and those you work with. It could be the loss of a marriage because of decisions that you've you've made. Everybody else is doing it. I'm going to do this. You lose your family. You lose the respect of your kids. You lose your job. Because, see, everyone else was doing this. But, you see, you went against the the ethics and principles of your workforce. And so now you've lost your job. And for some, it's a loss of life because they just went so far down that road. And for a nation, it could even be a loss of a nation. There are always damaging results when we listen to the crowd that's not going with God's word and we want to satisfy them, it will produce damaging results. And so you focus in, do something. A life-altering decision. Pilate laid it out there for us when he says, what shall I do with Jesus? What shall I do with Jesus? And that question is open to every one of us. We accept him, we reject him. And we follow him, and we sideline him. And it's each one of our personal responsibility to make that call. And to make that decision. I want to ask you to do something. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. At this moment. And I'm going to talk to you for just a second here. First thing is. I want you to think about the question. What shall I do with Jesus? What shall I do with Jesus? The first thing I want to focus on. Is accept or reject. If you're here today. And having never made that decision to receive Christ as your Savior. To have never opened up your life and your heart to to the gospel and to the person of Jesus Christ. I would love for you today to pray and to ask him to come into your heart and to accept him. And so... I'm going to ask you to do something for me, and that is every head bowed, eyes closed. If today you want to make that decision and to accept him and say, today's my day, I want to accept him. 
I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to make you stand up. It's just for me to see. If you're here today and you say, I'm ready to make that decision, I just want you just to raise your hand. All right? So just where you are. And if you raise it, just hold it up. Just, Just keep it up. Thank you very much. Any others? Today I want to accept Christ as my Savior. Today I want to nail it down. Just lift your hand up. Thank you. Now I want to speak to those like myself who've made this decision for Christ. And you know in your life as to whether you're following him or you're sidelining him. And for those that are sidelining him, today could be the day when you said, you know what, Danny? Um, I got to get back to following him. I got to get back to denying self, taking up cross, follow him. I need to put him back in the game and get him off the sideline. If that is your prayer today, I want to ask you just to raise your hand, just a brief moment, then just put it right back down. All right? So do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. I see some here. Just raise your hand. Bring it back. Thank you. Thank you. Any others? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand. Bring it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Balcony, fan bank, all over. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Father, for those that raise their hand and said, I'm ready to accept you. I pray they'll take that next step to make that decision. And Lord, for those that are wanting to follow you and kind of take you off the sideline. Lord, you spoke to their heart today. This is their day that they're ready to get more serious in their walk with you. And I pray that you would just re-energize them with the filling of your Holy Spirit and help them to begin to take those steps necessary to get you off the sideline and into the ballgame. Thank you, Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.